How's everybody tonight? You on the right side of the dirt? <laughs> or the wrong side? We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 5 tonight. And uh, as we continue, continue our journey through Jeremiah, I just want to remind you of where we've been. If you remember, the beginning of the book begins with Jeremiah's call. God calling out to Jeremiah, calling him uh, as his prophet. To be a man willing to tell people what they don't want to hear. So it's just usually an unpopular position. Then God begins to levy through Jeremiah his charges. God's problem with the children of Israel. With Judah primarily. Israel's already been conquered. So his focus is on Judah and Jerusalem. But he's going to use the term Israel because Israel is synonymous with the whole nation. And since there's only half of the nation left, they are what's left of the whole nation. So he'll use that term a lot. And here's his charges so far as we work our way through. In chapter 2, they have forgotten the Lord. In chapter 3, they have failed to repent. In chapter 4... They have filled their hearts with wickedness. And in chapter 5, they have forsaken following his way. So, as we look at the text before us, we, we want to recognize, okay, here's what God is delivering to the people. Here's the message they don't want to hear. The things that they don't want to understand. And I'm sure... Uh, there are those of us here tonight who have tried to deliver a message somebody doesn't want to hear, right? I was just talking to Howard about a message somebody doesn't want to hear, right? And and I'm sure there are times when, when I've shared things people don't want to hear, you've shared things people don't want to hear. Someone who is a faithful uh, servant of the Lord wants to try to be faithful with what God's telling them. And that's going to be part of the charge about forsaking the way. The people began to heap up for themselves people who said things they like to hear. Sometimes we have to say the things we need to hear. Those aren't, those, sometimes it's a fine line, I don't know, but we all like to hear certain things. I'll tell you, I like to wake up in the morning and hear my wife happy. I don't like waking up in the morning and hearing my wife upset. I don't care if she's upset at the dog, the cat, me. It doesn't make any difference. I don't like it. I would rather hear happy, right? And so the same thing is true here. We, the, the people want to hear peace and safety and everything's okay. But that's not the message God has for them. And so he says in, in Jeremiah 5 verse 1, here's the beginning. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look, take note. Search her squares to see if you can find a man. One who does justice and seeks the truth that I might pardon her. So God is saying to Jeremiah, if you find one righteous person in Jerusalem, I will stop judgment. Now we ought to know how that story ends. This should not be shocking to us. In Genesis chapter 18, Abraham has a similar account with God, right? He, he meets the Lord and some angels. And in, in Genesis 18, 22, it says, So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? That's an interesting question, right? 
unless you understand what the answer is. Will you sweep away the righteous? With What if there's 50 righteous in the city? Will you sweep away the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall you not judge all the, shall the judge of all the earth not do what is just? So that's all Abraham talking. And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I'll spare the whole place. It's a safe bet for God. The next, next thing Abraham answered and said, uh, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am, I who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. We destroy the whole city for lack of five. He said, I will not destroy it if I find 45. Well, suppose 40 are found there, he answered. For the sake of 40, the Lord said, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let the Lord not be angry. I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And he said, oh, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but just this once. What if there is only 10? And God said, I will not destroy it for 10. In Jeremiah 5, verse 1, God makes it even simpler. I will not destroy it for one. So Jeremiah, go through the city. Take a lantern, walk through the city. Find me one man who does justice and seeks truth. Now that does not mean that there are no human beings who try to be just and true. But seeking your justice and God's justice are two different things. Walking in your truth and God's truth are two different things. How many times does the Bible have to tell us there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death? We often think we're, what we're doing is the right thing, right? But God, is, God, God has a higher standard. In Psalm 14, verse 1, it says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. How many do good? The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. In Ecclesiastes 7.20, it says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. None. Romans 3.10, As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless, unprofitable. No one does good, not even one. There's a reason why no one does good. It's not because of a lack of trying. If we went out and asked people, do you try to do good? Yes, I try to do good. But do we know what good is? Do we try to do right? Yes, I try to do right. But do we know what right is? 
Once we surrender the foundation of the word of God, how are you going to stand? What are you going to decide? What you think is right is right. What if the neighbor across the aisle thinks it's wrong? Which one of you is right? How do we know which way is good and which way is bad except for the Lord? And then are there not times when two brothers who follow the Lord would say, God says this and God says that? We, the, the, the missing piece is us, is in us, not in God. God is right. God is true and every man is a liar. So we want to recognize the state. God says, if you find one righteous man, I won't bring it. But the truth is there's not one righteous man. The Lord, looking at the most, Jesus Christ, looking at the most pious example that they had at the time of his walking on earth. He's looking at a Pharisee and he's saying, there's a Pharisee praying. And then he's looking at the example of the most unpious guy. There's a tax collector. And they're both praying. And Jesus at the end of their prayer says, the tax collector leaves justified. Because he doesn't try to excuse his own failure. He just beats his breast and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm a sinner. That, that is what God is looking for from his people. So he says to Jeremiah, look for a righteous man. In Jeremiah 5, 2, it says, and though they say, as the Lord lives, it's, it's a, it's a figure of speech like, you know, yes, I'm following the Lord. It's like saying, if you ever come in church and see somebody raise their hands in worship and then bump into them out in the street where they're not so worshipful. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure maybe none of you guys are guilty. I'm guilty. I don't, I'm not trying to pretend my attitude's always perfect or I'm, I'm, I've always got it together. That I always choose the, to have the right attitude or the right thing. And he's saying they, they walk around with words. They say the words, hey, Lord, whatever you want. I love Habakkuk's words in Habakkuk 3. And, and Habakkuk, as he's, well, we'll read, we'll read it later on tonight, but as Habakkuk is wrestling with God doing something he doesn't like. Lord, what are you doing? If I told you what I was doing, you, you wouldn't understand it. I'm going to judge the people. I'm going to bring the enemy from the north and he's going to conquer. He's going to take away everything you have. And Habakkuk at the end of chapter 3 says, Though I have nothing left, no olive, no grape, no herds in the stall, I will, I will trust you, Lord. And like Job, never got the answer that he wanted. But God's challenge was, will you trust me? He says the people say, uh, they, they say the words, as the Lord lives, and they swear falsely. God says, they, they're not committed to my way. That's his point in, in verse 3. O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? 
So isn't that what God's looking for? Truth in the inward parts. That's what the psalmist said, right? Uh, what truth in the inward parts. We're, we all get worried, right? We get worried about um, um, uh, lists of requirements. Don and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago about lists of requirements. And, and, and Howard and I were having a, a discussion about lists of requirements. And we get, we get worried about those lists and we fall into two errors. One error is we think there's no value in the list. God gives us a list for a reason, right? There is a righteous walk that God calls us to. But the other error is thinking when you pursue the list, you made yourself righteous. No, you didn't. You, you broke, I broke that list. I broke, I don't know if there's a list I haven't broke. I am called of God to be a man above reproach and I am not maybe I was going to say not always maybe I'll say not often a man above reproach I am a man on his knees asking God to forgive me for my failures and sometimes asking people to forgive me for my failures but the point is that the list doesn't make me righteous Jesus Christ makes me righteous And because Jesus Christ makes me righteous doesn't mean I pitch the list. And I say, God doesn't want me holy. Does God want us holy? Yeah, that's the pursuit, right? It's it's his provision for our failure that helps us stand in a place where we can recognize the grace of God, right? God's grace on me. So he says, does not the Lord look for truth? You have struck them down, but they felt no anguish. Now this goes to the the Proverbs. What does the Proverbs tell us? A fool will not receive instruction. The point of Proverbs is you can lay the lash to the back of the fool and he won't learn. I don't want to be that guy. If the Lord lays the lash to me, then I want to learn. But the point here is, you've laid the lash, and they they don't learn. Uh, He says, you have struck them down, but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they refuse to take correction. They won't take correction. Now, here's the rub for us, right? In the, in, in where, where does this meet real life? Here's where it meets real life. And, and, you know, you, you can argue with me theologically whenever you want, but I, I have a hard time not seeing everything from the hands of God. I don't think mankind just has that much power to affect everything. Do I think man has uh, free will and choice? I do think man has free will and choice, but I don't think it supersedes God's ability to work in someone's life. And so when something enters into my life, I make the choice to say, this is from the hands of God. What am I supposed to learn? Is this your correction, Lord? The point is not to make assumptions one way or the other. The point is to live in the reliance of seeking understanding from God in everything, whatever it is. You know, open doors, closed doors, things that make me happy, things that make me sad. You know, what is it? What are you showing me? I want to be a person looking to be corrected, understanding that that's, these things enter our life. I don't want to be like these guys whom the Lord is trying to reach and, they're, and they just are passing off their, their sin like, who cares? 
God's grace covers me. It's all good. doesn't matter. You know, God has to forgive me, right? We talked about that before. You're going to have to show me that verse. <laughs> of all the beings in the universe, God's probably the only one that don't have to forgive anybody. I don't have that right, right? Because God has forgiven me, and he says I should extend that same forgiveness. I want to be able to extend that as well. They have made their lives harder, that, or I'm sorry, they have made their faces harder than the rock. They have refused to repent. They've set their countenance against the Lord. Set it against the Lord. I've, I've, I've been in this position before. Maybe some of you have been in that position before as well. This can't be from you. And if this is from you, I, I don't want it. So I set my face hard against the Lord. And some things are difficult. I've had people sit in my office and say, you know, hey, w tell me how this is supposed to work out. My child's sick. How can this be from the hands of God? How can this be from the hands of God? This is unjust, the situation that I find myself in. And I'm telling you, if we were there at the time when Babylon invaded Jerusalem, we would think everything Babylon did was unjust. Yet God says it's all from his hands. This is, this is me working. They set their faces. They refuse to repent. Then I said, these are only the poor. So this is, this is, um, um, you know, Jeremiah saying, oh, I looked at the wrong place. In order to look for a righteous man, I shouldn't have looked with the poor people. I should have looked with the better people. These were all the people on the wrong side of the tracks. Of course, they would fall short, right? These are only the poor. They have no sense. They don't know the way of the Lord or the justice of their God. I will go to the great, he says, and I will speak, for, I will speak to them. They will know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. But they all alike had broken the yoke. They had burst the bonds. Therefore, a lion from the forest will strike them down. A wolf from the desert will devastate them. A leopard is watching their cities. Everyone who goes out of them will be torn to pieces because their transgressions are many and their apostasies are great. You understand what God's saying? Well, it must be the wrong people. So the, the poor people are screwed up and, uh, you know, they're uneducated. So I'll go to the educated people. And then he gets there and he goes, nope, they're, they're just as screwed up. They've thrown off the bond. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. But here scripture says they've, they've cast off the yoke. They've broken the yoke. They burst the bonds. They're free. Free from any obligation to the Lord. So the, the Lord says, therefore, since you are free of me. Three things are in wait, a lion, the wolf, and the leopard. And everyone is going to suffer. Nobody, nobody gets a pass from what's coming from Babylon. And part of that is God speaking prophetically because I firmly believe if the people had responded to God's purpose, there would have been one invasion. We talked about that last week. There's three invasions. Because the, the nation, Judah, continues to fight. 
and not accept this as God's purpose. And so there's a second invasion. And then they continue to fight. And there's a third invasion. And in that time, Nebuchadnezzar grinds the city to dust. The Lord says, the lion, the wolf, and the leopard are watching the city. No one's going to escape. It's, it's not, I don't believe, the decree where God is saying, this is how this must happen. It is simply God saying, this is what you're going to do. This is the path you're on. This is the destruction you're taking. Why? Because their transgressions are many. Understand, a transgression is something you know is wrong and you did it anyway. They have transgressed. They saw the line. They stepped over the line. Hey, God has to forgive me, right? Knowing sin and choosing it anyway. What is apostasy? To deny the Lord. What is it to be an apostate? To, to turn away from God. So he's saying, you have transgressed, you've sinned and you know it's wrong. And you have apostatized, you've turned the back to God. I've turned away from you. So the Lord says, this is where it leads. The whole book of Proverbs tells us this. Two paths, life, death, wisdom, foolishness. The fool won't receive correction, but Lady Wisdom is calling all day. Come to me. Follow me. Walk this way. This is the path of life. But it's a path that must be chosen. So the Lord says in verse 7, how can I pardon you? Your children have forsaken me and have sworn by those who are no gods. When I fed them to the full, they committed adultery and trooped to the houses of whores. They were well-fed, lusty stallions, each neighing for his neighbor's wife. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? Ezekiel 16 is, is the same story. Ezekiel 16 is God finding an unwanted child thrown away in a field. And God cleaning that child and caring for that child and watching over that child and raising that child to an adult woman and then expecting that that adult woman will be his and he'll be hers. But she's not faithful. And that's the story of Judah. That's the story of Israel. And in varying degrees, it's our story as well. The, the struggle to be faithful men. The Lord says, shall I not punish Which of you married to an unfaithful husband or wife will not have a problem with their unfaithfulness? And what, isn't it a greater, isn't it a greater betrayal to a holy God who has fed you to the full? The, The question the Lord is asking is, should there not be? Should there not be judgment? They have abandoned me. They have broke our covenant. Yeah? That's why marriage is a picture. Because you and I who are married, we stand before a a pastor, a preacher, a priest, and we declare before God, till death do us part. 
Nobody held a gun to anybody's head. I've done lots of weddings. I never had to hold a gun to nobody's head. Everybody says the words. And not everybody keeps them. Right? So, so when we break that covenant, are we guilty? At the very least, you're guilty of lying, no? And does that not require repentance? Confession? Will God forgive? For sure. He forgives a repentant man. He forgives a repentant woman. But it requires, it, it call, we are called to respond to that. So the Lord says in verse 10, uh, So go up through her vine rows and destroy, but make not a full end. Strip away her branches, for they are not the Lord's. Jesus told a, a similar story about a fig tree and, and the parable of the, of the vineyard. And remember the branches that were not fruitful, what happened? Take those branches down, cut them off, and do what with them? Throw them into the fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a weird fire. It's been cold enough a couple of nights to be weeping and gnashing my teeth. But when the, when the scripture lays out here, the Lord says, those aren't my branches. Because the Lord's branches, branches that are attached to the vine, do they bear fruit? Yeah, they bear fruit. He says, these branches aren't mine, break them off. They're not my branches. You remember what Paul wrote in Romans 10, 11, uh, 10, 11 and 12? He talks about the idea that, that uh, the Gentile nations are grafted in and the, and the nation of Israel has been torn off. But the Lord says, even right here, don't make a full end. Is the whole thing thrown away? According to Paul, no, they're not all thrown away. What God has taken off and grafted in the wild, isn't God able to graft back in the natural? Well, Paul says yes. Paul says yes. The Lord is saying, look, this is not an utter end. This is not a complete end. But the Lord's saying, I'm not going to be her defense. I'm not going to be her defense. So in verse 11 it says, why? For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have been utterly treacherous to me, declares the Lord. They have spoken falsely of the Lord and said, He will do nothing. No disaster will come upon us, nor shall we, shall we see the sword or famine. At the same time Jeremiah is prophesying, there are other prophets who are standing up and saying, No, don't listen to Jeremiah. That's not, God's not judging us. This is not the judgment of the Lord. This is not the plan of the Lord. And so they lie in the name of God. And God holds them accountable. He says, no, that's, why do you, why do you lie? You speak falsely of the Lord. You say, this is not what God is doing. Verse 13, the prophets will become wind. The word is not in them. There's lots of prophecy that doesn't have the word in it. The Lord says, these are wind. It's just hot air. It's just blowing around, but the word is not in them. Thus shall it be done to them. Therefore, says the Lord, the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, behold, I am making my words in your mouth a fire, and this people would, 
and the fire will consume them. So God's judgment is ultimately your false prophecy is going to condemn this people to judgment. What's the judgment? The fire. Who's the wood? The people who listen. They're going to, they're going to at least a number of them perish in the judgment of the fire that God brings because they listened to the lying prophets and rejected the true. How do you know the difference? Is it by how sweet the honey tastes? Is that what scripture would tell us? The scripture say, here's how you know the true word of God. Because when God speaks it, man, it's, it's sweet. You remember the two guys in the Bible who had to eat the word of God? It was sweet to the taste and what? Bitter to the stomach. Sweet to taste. Bitter in the stomach. How do I know the true word of God? For me, I hold fast. To what God's word says. That's it. He's delivered it to us. If God's word says. You can't ever wear blue. Then wearing blue is wrong. Period. And there's no justification for it. God's word is the final authority. But in our world today, are there people who stand as the prophet to say, no, blue's fine. Blue's okay. We need to drag the Bible into the 21st century. So, you know, we don't, we, we, we need to recognize that, that this overrides that principle. Whatever, whatever the thing is. We want to be those who are holding fast to the word of God. And look, just because I say it, don't make it true. Paul said the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they received the word of God with all readiness. But what'd they do? You better know for yourself. You better search the scriptures yourself. You better be convinced. Because on the day that we stand before God, I'm standing for me. And you're standing for you. And it'll be a lousy complaint to say, I just believe Jackie. Well, God will say, you should have listened to me. No? We want to be men and women who will search out. What is it that God's word is laying out? Don't follow prophets of wind. Follow the word of God. So God says in verse 15, Behold, I am bringing against you a nation from afar. O house of Israel, declares the Lord. It's an enduring nation. It is an ancient nation. A nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. Their quivers like an open tomb. They are all mighty warriors. They shall eat up your harvest and your food. They will eat up your sons and your daughters. They shall eat up your flocks and your herds. They shall eat up your vines and your fig trees, your fortified cities in which you trust. They shall beat down with the sword. Almost the same thing God said to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, this is what's coming. Here's what he said in chapter 3. The prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shiganoth, 
O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. Ever been afraid of what God's doing? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, God, remember mercy. God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand. And there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of the Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. And though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines... The produce of the olive fail, and the field yields no food. The flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me to tread on the high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments the last thing Habakkuk did was write a song a prayer that he sung out to God talking about God's judgments in the past his deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt the parting of the Red Sea the rivers of the Nile turned to blood the plagues that came the judgment that God poured out the judgment that God poured out on the children of Israel in the wilderness when they wouldn't trust in God he laid out all of these things and the lesson that he learned from them all if I don't have anything I will have the Lord And I will patiently wait for God's deliverance from our enemies. But in the midst, he says, I'm going to trust you. 
You are the God of my salvation. You are our hope. In Jeremiah 5.18 it says, But even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not make a full end. This is not God's final judgment. It's never over till it's over. God says, I I won't make a full end. This is not the end. This is not the end of Israel. It's not the end of you. It's not the end of me. God says, I will not make a full end of you. And when your people say, why has the Lord our God done all these things to us? Then you shall say to them, as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve foreigners in a land that is not yours. As you have forsaken me and served foreign gods, you are going to be strangers in a strange land. It's interesting because Jeremiah is going to plead with the people till the day he dies. Stop. Accept God's judgment. You don't have to die. Live. Choose life. And the people are going to choose death every single time. Jeremiah is going to plead with families to pick up their starving children and walk outside the walls to Nebuchadnezzar and be fed. And they will choose to eat their child. Because the rebellion of man against God is not a little thing. It's not a little thing. And we look at those things and we say, that would never be me. And that's exactly what they said when Jeremiah told them it was coming. I would never do that. I would never think that way or feel that way or make that choice. But the people did in their rebellion against the Lord. Declare this in the house of Jacob. Proclaim it in Judah. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears and hear not. What does that mean? You have eyes and see not. You have ears and hear not. You remember every letter to the church in the book of Revelation begins with a phrase. Or or ends with a phrase. Let him who has ears hear. Why why does God have to say that? Because oftentimes we are unwilling to see. Oftentimes we are unwilling to hear. No, that can't be what God wants. Or, no, that can't be God's fingerprints. This can't be be what, what God is saying. It was only for Isaiah when he stood in the presence of God that he recognized, oh my gosh, I am an unclean man. And I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. That was accurate, right? And God, he purged his sin. These, they were unwilling to see and unwilling to hear. And then they had no fear. Verse 22, do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? 
I place the sand as a boundary of the sea, a perpetual barrier. It cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. Will you not fear me? I was talking to somebody today about uh, training a dog. I have a, I have a dog. He's just like me. He don't listen very good. And, or she don't, she don't listen very good. And he was telling me, you know, there's a fine line in training a dog between having them fear you and be scared of you. And the goal, he was saying, in training was that they would fear you, that they know you're in charge, but that they're, they're not, they haven't reached the point where they're scared of you. Now, I'm not sure what that looks like because sometimes it looks the same, you know. When I grab a wiffle ball bat and start chasing a dog, the dog knows. <laughs> if I let you catch me, you're going to hit me with that thing. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to do my best to dissolve that bat into her backside, you know. And I think, when I think about that, I think, you know, isn't that what God is saying when he says, don't you fear me? When God said to Job, where were you when I made behemoth? Where were you when I set the foundations of the earth? And part of the point that God's making is he's, he's, he's big enough and mighty enough and good enough for us to trust, even if we look at everything and think, this can't be from your hands. You can't be sending the Babylonians against us. They're bad people. They don't even know your name, God. They're wicked. They pray to wrong gods. How can you use them? God says, when you ask, you have forsaken me. You have turned to other idols. I'm choosing them to be the method of, of punishment. Of, of providing the crossroad in your life to choose. See, I will set before you life and death, wisdom and foolishness, good and evil. And then God says, choose life. Follow me. Nobody on those days said, one day I'm going to sit down and have a meal of my child. Second Kings chapter 6 says that when Israel was falling to the Assyrian uh, uh, siege, King Ben-Hadad was walking through the city of Samaria, and he heard a woman saying, King, King, won't you help me? We have a dispute and the king's like, what am I going to do for you, man? The enemy's outside the gate. We got nothing. Everything's, everything's doomed. We're all doomed. What, what can I do for you? If the Lord won't help you, what can I do? She said, well, my neighbor, she made a promise. She said, if we eat your child today, we'll eat my child tomorrow. So she said, so I, I, 
cooked my child and we ate my child yesterday, but today she has hidden her child and she won't bring him out. You realize the children were alive, right? You don't hide a dead child. And the king tore his robe and cried out to God. Well, it was too late then. It was too late. You had rejected all the prophets who had ever come. All those who had ever come before you. And the king tore his robe and it said, how, how did we get here? Even bad kings don't set out for that. Nobody says, hey, here's my plan for the future. Nobody does that. So the Lord lays out to them. This people, in verse 23, has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God, who gives the rain in its season, the autumn and the spring rain, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. You know, God promised the people a harvest. And he also told them, you know, when we're not doing okay, we don't, we, we don't want to keep long accounts. So if we're not doing okay, I won't send the rain. And if I don't send the rain, that's a sign that something's wrong between us. So seek my face. And so when they came to those times and the rain didn't fall, it was easier to call upon Baal, the god of the storm. Baal, bring your rain. Our god's not bringing rain. Baal... Bring the rain. And they didn't seek after the Lord. They didn't listen to God's prophets. And they didn't hear what the word of the Lord declared. So the Lord set before them life and death, blessing and cursing. And he said, choose life. Verse 25, he says, your iniquities have turned these away. Your sins have kept good from you. If a man holds iniquity in his heart, God says, I won't hear him. If a man holds on to his sin, caresses it in his heart and says, what's the big deal? This is not a big deal. It's a little thing. God says, I won't, I won't hear you. You are regarding iniquity. You have filled your hands with sin and emptied your hands of me. So the Lord says, your iniquities have turned these away. Your sins have kept good from you. For wicked men are found among my people. They lurk like fowlers lying in wait. They set a trap. They catch men like a cage full of birds. Their houses are full of deceit. Therefore they have become great and rich, they're like fowlers. What are they doing? They're encouraging lies. Hey, they're lying in wait. They're setting a trap. How do you set a trap? You bait it. What is the bait on the hook to the fish? It's a lie. The fish thinks, oh, man, got a good meal. The fisherman thinks, no, you don't. I got a good meal. Right? Right? 
But they've rejected the truth of God. And so they have accepted the lie. Isn't that what Paul would write about the end times? Isn't this what he would tell Timothy? One day, men are going to become lovers of themselves, not lovers of God. And they will heap up for themselves teachers who will scratch their itching ears, telling them things they want to hear. Like fowlers setting the trap. Verse 29, shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on a nation like this? Should I not respond? Is there, is there no, does God have no right to respond to sinners in the hands of an angry God? Is it God's heart to punish? Not according to Ezekiel. Not according to the prophets. God's heart is to forgive the repentant. Does that mean God won't judge? That's not what that means. God wants to forgive. God wants to restore. God wants to renew. God is willing for all those things. Did God not forgive Nineveh? Sure he did. What was what how did they respond? They repented, right? They repented and God renewed. But he says of these they don't want to change. Verse thirty An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, the priests rule at their direction, and my people love to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? Jeremiah is got, we got a long ways to go through Jeremiah. A lot of stuff Jeremiah is going to talk about. But keep in mind, Jeremiah's message never changed. The enemies are coming according to God's prophecy. Babylon is on its way. It takes a while to walk from Babylon to Israel. And yet God continues to tell them, here's the events that are coming. God's going to bring a crossroad and set it before Jerusalem. And he's going to say, if you stay in there, you're going to die. And if you come out here, you're going to live. I have set before you blessing and cursing. Life and death. Choose life. The prophet's there to declare God's judgment. The prophet's also there to prepare the hearts of the people. Did everyone perish in judgment? No, there's this little book called Daniel. You heard of it? Daniel also had three friends. You remember their name? Rakshak and Benny? Right? That, what were they? W- weren't they faithful to God? Where were they? They were in Babylon. That's where God said he was going to send the people. That was the place, right? This is where we got to go. Do you think when they drug Daniel out he, of his palace, he was like, Whoa, I get to go to Babylon. Woohoo! Do you think he thought, Man, this sucks? I don't want to go there. God do good things. I have set before you life and death. 
That's what he told the, the people. The second captivity, they had the same thing. Life and death. You don't have to stay in there and starve. Come out here and live. Jeremiah 29, 11. You got it on your fridge. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. You read that chapter? The people are being led away in chains, thinking their life is over. And God is telling them it's just begun. There is a way that seems right to a man. We want to we want to be a people who say, okay, God, I don't know. As far as I can tell, this is your leading. This is your directing. I want to respond to you, what you have, what you're doing. I don't understand. Uh, you know, when I sit down in, in Casey's living room and I look into her eyes and she says to me, well, Jackie, why is this happening? What am I supposed to tell my kids? I don't know. I know it's not an accident. I know God's still on the throne. I know no matter how it feels, how much you hurt, Casey, God loves you. And this is not for your destruction but for his glory and your good. And no matter how ugly it looks, you hold on to that and have hope. Even though the stalls are empty, there's no olives and there's no grapes, I'm going to trust you, God. That's what happens when God's people choose life. Habakkuk got it. Jeremiah got it. Daniel got it. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, otherwise known as Rakshak and Benny, they got it. Sometimes the things God does don't always look so good. But it's never wrong for us to bow the knee to him. Beat our chest like a tax collector and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And do what God's telling you. Be faithful to him. And let God be glorified in your life, what you live out for him. Trust him. Don't got to trust me. Trust him. Seek his face, know his purpose, and choose life. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time we can come before you. Thank you for the truth of your word, the things that your word declares, God. Prepare our hearts to, to be and to do the things that you lay out before us. If we move forward and we come into a fruitful season with your blessing and rain and crops and harvest and everything is good, may your praise be on our lips. And if we come out and there are no crops and everything crumbles, may your praise be on our lips.
no matter what. And God, may you very clearly speak to our heart. May our desire be to please you. To follow your call. And not necessarily what someone else says it is. You find it. You do it. You fulfill it. You be a Daniel. Hananiah. Azariah. Mishael. Jeremiah. Habakkuk. Ezekiel. All godly men who came through the furnace of affliction and lived well. Fulfilled God's purpose and honored the Lord in their life. May that be our goal as well. Where you lead us, God, we will follow. What you ask, we will do. That your name be glorified. That your name be magnified. And that your praise be on my lips. In Jesus' name. Amen.